Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are back. In our last episode, we had mentioned that I was reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, and Gail told me that she had already read it. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we thought of the book, getting back to a little bit of a mini book club. And then Gail told me that she's having trouble reading fiction. So we're going to try to get to the bottom of that and see what we've both been reading over the last week. Yes. What have you been What have you been reading uh, since, since you haven't been reading fiction? I don't know. Isn't that the craziest thing? It's like the world is upside down in so many ways, and one of it is that I'm not reading fiction. Um, right. So, okay, in the last week since you and I last talked, I finished Untamed, which I mentioned to you I was reading. That's the book by Glennon Doyle, and it's the sort of juggernaut summer book about Glennon's kind of revelation that – she didn't want to live this life that she was expected to live, and she wanted to become untamed and unleashed and unshackled by expectation. And she leaves her husband for a woman, Abby Wambach. And the book is really, a, it's a bit all over the place. And it's about parenting, and it's about being a woman, and she talks about racism, and she talks about activism. And... You know, for the most part, I liked it a lot. Um, it's not my usual type of book, but aside from a few sort of heavy self-helpy chapters, um, I actually, I actually really enjoyed it, and I felt like uh, it was worth the read. And there were some things I sort of think back on, and and you know, well, I think I will take away from the book. Um, what was self-helpy about it? I'm so curious. Well, there were some chapters about that just had kind of more like inner strength, knowing type things. Like this one chapter about knowing with a capital K. I don't even really know what it was meant to be about. But it just, I just, <laughs> you, you know me about me and self-help. Like when for my self-help book last year, I read the skincare book. Like I'm not good on like um, real like coaching. Inspiration yes. and. Yes. Uh, reaching into your depths yes, and you can do it. Yeah, exactly. And this is about as, <laughs> this book is as self-helpy as I get, but like, I, I like, Gail does not like encouragement. She likes, I like instruction. Guide it. Yes. She likes instructions, instruction rules. and guidance. Yes. Um, but you know, there was some good stuff about parenting about like, we're so afraid to let our kids be afraid. And we're, and we're also always telling our kids not to be afraid. Like, be brave. And she's like, you know, sometimes being afraid is good. And it's a sign for kids of their limits, or it's a sign of who they are, what's important to them. And, you know, she's got some things about like sort of letting kids be. And yet at the same time, she has a whole chapter about how she kind of pushed her one daughter into playing soccer, which she really hadn't intended to do. And so that chapter was actually about when you should push and when to put them out of their comfort zone. So you know, that's why I say the book was a little bit all over the place. Like it wasn't like a thematic thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I liked her tone. I did it on audio. So I enjoyed hearing the words in her voice. I liked her depiction of her relationship with Abby Wambach. I thought that was really interesting because this is someone who had not identified as lesbian or had 
not been with a woman before until she met Abby. And it was like love at first sight. She leaves her husband for her, sacrifices like the stability of her family for this extremely unknown ground. Like she never didn't know what it was like to kiss a woman or be with a woman romantically. And I don't know, learning about that relationship I thought was really interesting. So, you know, I'm sure there are people who will either dismiss this book because they'll consider her like the Christian writer from her first book, um, Love Warrior. Actually, I think that was her second book, her second book, Love Warrior. Or, you know, maybe they just sort of read the synopsis or they just don't feel like this is their type of book. And I get that, but I'm glad I did it. And uh, it was, you know, like I said, fiction's not really holding my attention these days. And, and that this was a good, a good holdover. So that book I finished. And then another book I'm doing on audio, also nonfiction, is called Craigslist Confessional. Have you heard about this one? Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. So I learned about this one from Sarah's Bookshelves. And it's about, it's, a collection of um, sort of summaries by a woman who placed a Craigslist ad that was like, do you want to tell me your secrets? And so she, over the last several years, she has met with a number of people who have contacted her based on her ad, or now they know who she is because she's got a column under that name. And they tell her like her darkest secrets And, um, it's each chapter is not very long, but it's about whoever has confessed and it's what their story is, tells their story. So sometimes it's a story about loss or a story about addiction or a story about identity or love. So they're, you know, they're kind of all over the map, but I like them a lot. The author's name is Helena Dea Bala. And this is also keeping my attention and it's nice because the chapters are short so you can kind of pick it up listen to one or two of the confessionals put it down and then pick it up again and and just move on to the next ones so that Hmm. one i'm almost done with what does she get into at all people's reasonings i mean why they decided to come forth and confess not so much it's really more about what it is they're confessing so they don't say, oh, I've needed to get this off my chest or I've now is the right time for me to do it. They're really see, more that's their the story. fascinating part about I mean, I, I cannot imagine that I would ever see an ad like that and be like, oh, yes, let me <laughs> tell this woman. <laughs> right. Maybe I have, I have too many trust issues. <laughs> well, it may be that once she sort of had a platform, because I think she was on, is it Medium? She had a column where she was starting to share these. And it could be that there are people, some of the stories like have an agenda, like they could be about an addiction or abuse or arranged marriage, or, you know, they may feel like telling their story will help other people. Um, one guy, right. one story is about a guy who was like literally on the brink of suicide. And then he like got a text from his daughter and he didn't do, he didn't go through with it and how he kind of turned his life around after that. So, I mean, he probably feels like he wants to share that story so that someone who might be in a similar situation to him might rethink their plans. So that could be a motivation, but there's certainly other ones where I I don't think there is that like agenda to help other people. And I think you you make a really good point. Like how comfortable would you feel going to some coffee shop 
because that's where she used to do her meetings. I don't know where she does them now. She'd just like meet them at a Starbucks <laughs> and like over over them. Zoom, and you don't share your video, right? I guess that's one way to do it. So I don't know. It's fascinating. It's a very voyeuristic book. Uh, I am doing it on audio, which I actually don't recommend because the audio are not performed, of course, by the people who told the stories. People are anonymous. So they're, right. they, they feel like performances as opposed to, Mm-mm. they don't feel like memoir. They don't feel like confessional. So I actually think I would probably like the book a little bit more if I had just done it in print from the start. Right. Um, but it's, it's keeping my attention. And then another book I'm reading that's kind of similar, at least in format, is I'm finally reading the book Come Again by Howard Stern. And these are just his collection of his favorite interviews, maybe over the last 20 years. And so they're little mini transcripts. Each one is maybe six to eight pages long of him interviewing different people. And again, like I can do this one over time, I can read one or two interviews a day. I do it while I'm drying my hair. So this is like my, my blow dry book. And uh, like that is keeping my attention to the fiction. I've hmm. started like eight different books and I, Nicole, I have so many books in the house. I have so, and they're all books I really want to read. I've swapped for them or they're library books or they're review copies and they're things I've like affirmatively sought after and I want them and I'm excited to read them. And then I just, I don't know what's going on. I can't read them. Hmm. And every month I'm like, I don't know. Has, has your, has, is this a pandemic thing? Do you feel like the pandemic has shaken your reliance on fictional worlds to tell truth? Maybe. I mean, I, it, it, I've gone in and out with fiction since March. It's not, this hasn't been consistent since March. I've definitely read fiction. I mean, it's even as recently as the Brit Bennett, which I just read, but um, the, for some reason, like right now, I don't know what it is about July and the like, month four. I don't know. Like the fact that we're, you know, schools are now officially online for the fall and there's no return to work anytime soon. I, I, I don't know what it is. When are, when are they thinking of returning to work? Well, DC is, well, everywhere is kind of worse off than New York at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're, we were doing really well and now we're on an uptick. I mean, we're not, we're not going up as fast as some of the other states that really, really reopened quickly because DC is still in like, I would say phase two with phase one being the first phase of complete shutdown and phase two is like the slow reopening. But the cases are ticking up here enough that there is a lot of caution about the fall and about schools. And I mean, we're, we are, I'm definitely not going back to the office this calendar year. There's no question. Really? No. I don't know what it is about where we are right now, July, end of July, but my mind is having a very hard time focusing on fiction. Right. And it's like, it's weird because it's so not like me. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just think I was not as surprised by my reaction to things because with my accident, I could not focus. I mean, I think there's so much stuff running in the back of your head that maybe you consciously think that you've adjusted to, but I think it's always there. Like, 
I feel like I wake up and I check the paper just to reassure myself that, you know, there's terrible things happening, but like not nothing apocalyptic has happened. So I just feel like we're just all in this low level, minimum low level fear that makes it hard to concentrate that your brain just keeps resetting. I had a hard time concentrating during the accident because it was so stressful and there were so many things going on. And I feel like this is similar, Mm -hmm. which is why I think I didn't freak out when I just kind of stopped reading for a while. And then I got back with the horror thing and I'm still not reading at the levels I was like I, I read, I finished the vanishing half and I read a chapter of Mexican Gothic and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean- I think the thing with me and reading and fiction is that most of the times in other times reading is kind of your happy place. But right now for me, you definitely have to quiet down when you're reading. And I think it's hard to stop. Right. The other thoughts. Right. And I think you just touched on something really interesting too, about reading being a happy place. Like, it's sort of hard to find a happy place right now. Like for me, baseball starting up again tomorrow. And you know that for me, that's huge. But like, right. I can't get that excited about it because it's like, I'm not, I'm not in a happy place, you know? Well, you're not going to be able to go to the games. Everyone's going to have to be tested a billion times or in a dome to even play. Right. It just it doesn't I mean, feel like... I mean, everything is just super weird. Super weird. And I don't feel like... It's just hard to, it's hard to like really appreciate things right now, just knowing everything else going on. You just, you you feel, you almost feel guilty. Like I feel bad, like escaping into a baseball game because I'm like, but there's so much shit going on. That's like, that's bad and stressful and people are facing so much hardship right now. And I just, it's just hard to kind of give into the fun of activities that in the past brought a lot of joy. So right. uh, other than super menial things like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, with that, I don't feel guilty about, but like doing, I don't know. Well, you have to be so focused to even do anything with a g- jigsaw puzzle. I think right. maybe if you can enter into the zone. Yeah. That- I also think it depends on what it is that you're reading. I think that so much of, Fiction. I mean, some of it does deal with serious topics, but sometimes a lot of it can be escapist. You know, you really want to read that, that, you know, whatever's catnip to us, you know, whatever's going on in some college campus or Mm -hmm. on the beach for the summer. And that just feels, I'm not finding pleasure in that. I think I'm looking at these people's lives and kind of judging them. Yeah, totally. Be like, what are you worrying about? Um, Right. Like, you know. I'm even contemplating doing a thriller because like, remember how we talked about muscle memory? Like sometimes you just got to get your brain back into it. And I feel like that might be the easiest way to do it. Just start with something super addictive that like you can't put down. It doesn't make any sense, but right. you just throw yourself in. I have that book, the last flight, which is like the, one of the sort of popular thrillers this summer. And I might just, maybe I just need that to just, wipe the slate clean, read that. And then my brain will be like, Oh yeah. Fiction. I remember you. Yeah. I think too, with those kinds of books, I mean, there's something about human be, you know, human beings. We're always trying to figure things out. Like we want answers. We want to know behaviors. And I think with you and thrillers, the answers are never satisfying, 
But the questions always keep you turning the pages. Like, I wonder what's going to happen next. I wonder if it's this person or that person. And I think that there's something about either mystery, thriller, true crime that engages your brain, like it bypasses the judgment, because I think so much of it is wanting to find out what's going to happen next. You know, I think that's the question that drives so many of us, what's going to happen next? You know, how will this work out? Right. So you don't need to sit and judge the life that they're living. No, because you just want to know, well, who did it? Right. Right. <laughs> and I think that your brain just focuses, it latches on to that. Yeah. Because I just started listening to this thing called, um, it's not, it's a podcast, but I think it was one that Audible did. Um, so you can, you can get it all at once. It's for one credit. And I started listening to it and it is about this man who, like a bunch of people who had moved to this small Ireland town where nothing bad ever happens. He's become world famous because it seems like he's gotten away with this crime. There, He's alleged to have killed the wife of a French movie producer you know, it's easy for me to listen to that for long periods of time because it is just, well, did he do it? And why was he so weird? And, you know, why did this happen? So I think we need those questions, those thrillers, those page turners. Well, that probably catches you up on where I am. Um, <laughs> hopefully next time I will have committed to something. I don't know. Is there any, any, anything fictional? I mean, not the actual reading of it when you pick it up or when you go to read it that <sighs> you find you're not into it, but is there anything that you feel like lately you've really, really wanted to read? Well, I mean, I want to read all these books. Um, and, and they all no, have but something in particular, mm, in particular, you know, what I should do is just go take inventory of everything that I have and, and pick what See, I just out. finished The Vanishing Half, and I had read a chapter of Mexican Gothic because it just felt like I really, you know, because now I had that thriller jumpstart me, even though I'm not reading a lot, I really did want to read this story about this woman who gets a, she gets a letter from her cousin, who's a newlywed, and she says that her husband is trying to poison her. So she goes, she's going to go and stay with the family. And so it's, it's supposed to be moody and spooky and smart and wry. This is so Mexican Gothic. This is Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. I've seen that book everywhere. I think that was on book of the month this month too. I'll be curious to know what you, what you think of it. I love the first chapter. I mean, I put it down because my book club was reading The Vanishing Half and I needed to finish it. So. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been reading. The Vanishing Half we're going to get to. And I am carrying this around my apartment <laughs> from bed to sofa to table, which are yeah. all within th three feet of each other. Yeah. Because um, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll see what, where the winds take us next time we talk. I keep getting books coming yeah. into the library and I go and pick them up. I wait in my line and then you can, you know, you go and you 
they allow like two people in the library at a time and you go and you give them your name and they bring out your library holds. <laughs> so, and there's no fines. <laughs> so there's like literally no disincentive for picking up books that I will not get to anytime soon. And I'm swapping books. I mean, I just like, there's an influx of books coming in the house. It's insane for the amount of books that right. are actually being read. It's, I mean, I hope no one who is publicist that has sent me books is listening to this podcast because it just, it's just not happening. And yet I, you know, right. I, keep, I keep getting them. I keep procuring these books and like in theory, I want to read all of them. I, yeah, I think, I think you make it, you offer some good advice, which is to kind of look over the, the backs of the books and the stories and just figure out like what will grab me the most. Like the ones I've put down, I started a book called the Sweeney sisters and it was kind of like, sort of like, I don't want to say it's rich people problems, but it's about like these three sisters whose father dies. And then a fourth sister is going to emerge that they didn't know they had like a half sister from a secret relationship um, who gets discovered after he dies. So it's, you know, it's like a family drama about like well-off white people. And then I picked up the, um, an arc of monogamy by Sue Miller and I love Sue Miller. And it's all about, again, like a wife, a husband and wife married a long time and then he dies. And then I think she discovers like he had had an affair before he died. So it's all about their relationship. And maybe like, it's just right now, these kind of family dramas, which are usually my catnip and what I love, maybe that's the issue. Like maybe I need more a more propulsive plot or I need, you know, something there's more, I didn't well, more I know for me, I needed more diversity. I mean, even before the pandemic happened, I think that I was at my limit with just mm -hmm. books with white women on the cover. I think I mentioned saying, I think I said something like that on the podcast. I was just, I was tired of white women on the covers and everything was white family. I think I was just whited out. Yep. It was just, you know, even the rich people books, which can be catnip or fun or whatever, but it was just yeah, all of these white. white families talking to each other with their problems, you know, that usually take place at a beach house where they're resolving them. And it, yeah, I guess I was just, you know, and not that, that that's not people's reality or valid reality, but it was just tired of reading so many stories like that. Yeah. I think like I went vanishing half and in the dream house and I was finally getting more diversity in the reading. And I like, I'm really craving that. Like that was those two books I found difficult to put down and they were doing the trick. So, right. I think, yeah, I think that the, I think the diversity of experience, diversity of identity, it's all, and you know, also untamed because it's about, you know, her being, in a gay relationship. Like, I don't know, maybe that's just sort of like expanding the worldview that way is what will engage my brain right now more than just more white people. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think everything on my list, well, there's the new ton of French that I'm excited about. Yeah. Well, that will be good for the, in October, you, yeah. but it's also going to be a mystery thriller. So yeah. probably something will happen somewhere and, and people will investigate. Yep. And then you'll get sucked in. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm giving up on white people books. <laughs> <laughs> giving up on white people. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let a few in. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. Um, all right. So should we talk about Vanishing Half? Sure. A little book club discussion. So sure. let's get anything non-spoilery out of the way so that if people um, don't want to spoil it for themselves, then they can turn off the show. But um, so The Vanishing Half is about two sisters that grow up in a small town in Louisiana. And they are both light-skinned and they are living in a small town that is made up of entirely light-skinned blacks. And, and when they say light skin, we mean white. <laughs> we mean white. They're dreaded white people. And <laughs> they grow up, they are hit about 16 and their father, um, their father dies. And they uh, basically are sort of told by their mom, like, you can't go to school. You have to stay and work and support, the, you know, support me and support us. So, they both decide to run away and they run away to new Orleans and they get to new Orleans, they get jobs in new Orleans and then their lives take a very divergent path. And one of them, when one sister skips out, one sister skips out and disappears. And one sister ends up meeting a man in new Orleans and getting married and moving to Washington, DC. And so the book traces, well, the book sort of focuses a lot on this, the first sister, Desiree, the one who moved to DC and her attempts to find her sister, Stella. And then the second half of the book focuses more on Stella and what happens to her after she leaves New Orleans. And then we also meet both of their daughters. So their daughters are named Jude and why am I blanking on Kennedy, Kennedy. Jude and Kennedy. Jude is um, Desiree's daughter. Kennedy is Stella's daughter. And so we sort of start to trace like what happens to the next generation. And it's really a book about identity and secrets and hiding and um, what happens when you sort of turn your back on who you are and the people that you come from and try to turn into somebody else. So I think that's probably enough uh, to tease without there's i don't think there's anything spoilery in there but i suspect that we will get into spoilers in the rest of this conversation so if you don't want to know what happens in the rest of the book maybe pause on this and resume it once you've read the book okay all right so what happens is that stella marries her employer, a guy who hired her, a lawyer, I think he was, no, a financial guy, right, in um, New Orleans. And he thinks she's white because her skin is so light and she doesn't do anything to disabuse him She of doesn't that. correct him. Right. Well, she he thinks she's white because she never would have gotten the job had she not been white. Right. You know, I think Desiree has been telling her, like, Stella has lost her job at the laundry because she almost gets mangled in some kind of laundry press and is a liability. So she's fired and they need income in order to keep living in there. They've managed to get an apartment, a small apartment to themselves. 
in New Orleans. So in order to keep it, they're going to need to have money continue to come in. And Stella can't find anything. And Desiree encourages her to to take a job that is um, in, an, in, in a white office building. And it's clear that she would not have been called back or even gotten the position had she been black or, you know, made any reference or admitted to being black. And so she gets this position and her relationship develops with her boss. And I think that he probably only thinks that he is getting involved with someone who, because she is poor, has not been exposed to a lot of things. So his whole approach to her is that I'm going to show you things that you can have in the world and, and to tell you that you deserve it. You know, he tells her she deserves these things. So she ends up leaving her sister walking out and, uh, and starting a new life. Right. So what did you think? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a good story. Like, I really liked it. I was engaged with it. I liked the fact that one of the things I really liked was that there was a transsexual, like Jude's boyfriend is a trans man. And I like that. <laughs> I like that there was no danger attached to their relationship. Mm hmm. You know, I like that she accepted him and they, you know, they did not tell their family, like her family did not know about her relationship, but I like that she was able to make that choice and was strong in her identity in that, in that respect. Because I think this book was a lot about identity and I guess because Jude is so dark and she's been treated so badly by all of these, this whole town of light skinned black people, which... The town is kind of interesting because everyone is very fair, but at the same time, um, the twins' father is is basically lynched. Right. So they know that they are black, and it's it's this identity that they've accepted of, of being black that exposes them to that violence in that way, but at the same time they discriminate and, and Stella is like the biggest bigot in the book because she's so protective of her secret. Right. Right. And she is, um, she prevents her daughter from playing with the woman across the street's daughter who's black and she's so conflicted. Uh, initially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she wants to be friends with her, but she's so afraid of being discovered. And then she ends up, you know, being the most racist person in the book. I don't know. I, there, I guess there was something because this is, it was predicated on identity. And I think what drives this story is the question of why you have these two sisters and the vanishing half, they really concentrate on that and they play up the dichotomy. Like one sister runs away, she ends up married to a very dark black man and the child that she has is so dark. And then Stella runs away, she marries a white man and her daughter 
Kennedy is, you know, she's like the blondest and the fairest little princess is basically how she thinks of her. So they're always there. She makes very clear the opposites that these women are pursuing. I just felt like, uh, I think that the book is trying to get to the question of what would, what would make them make these choices. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I had, I didn't feel like I didn't know each of them enough to have a satisfactory answer. Yeah. I think I understand that what you're saying there, like it's hard. They are hard to know. They're hard to know. There's a remove there. There's a distance there. Um, And I think that. And that's one of the comments that Kennedy makes about. Well, actually both the sisters are the same way. Kennedy says the same thing about Stella who basically her, her story with her white family is that her family dies and she doesn't know. She doesn't have anyone in this world. She doesn't tell any stories about where she came from. Her daughter knows absolutely nothing about her. So yeah, yeah. this is where I guess I've run into trouble with books like this because I get the, the kind of the metaphor for their lives. The fact that each of them is afraid to share you know, each of the mothers is afraid to share with their daughters or share anything with each other. I mean, because Stella's living such a big secret that she literally cannot be known. She had to completely leave behind everything she's known, not be in contact with a sister she's loved, you know, never get in touch. She briefly reconnects with her mother, who is in such decline at the time that she is not even cognizant that her daughter has been gone. So it's like people who are holding close so many secrets and can't be known. I don't know. It's hard to get to really feel for characters like that. Uh, Like they left me a little cold. Yep. And I think, you know, I, I think you're right that the daughters found their mothers inscrutable because they were both hiding such a huge secret or at least so much pain. And uh, I, I definitely found that. And another issue that I had, which I think kept me from really giving into this story, there's a lot of the book that's predicated on coincidence. You know, there's, there's sort of the, the way that, for example, Desiree ends up meeting her partner um, early is because he had known who she was years and years ago. And then he's hired as a bounty hunter to try to track her down, which the, the, the odds of that are really low. And then the way that Kennedy and Jude cross cross paths, both in New York and in LA is just happenstance that they were happened to be in the same place at the same time. And these are two enormous cities. And, you know, <laughs> I get that like, I get that like that she needs needed to make these things happen for the plot. But for me, like I found those very distracting. They removed me from the story because I was like, uh, you know, kind of roll my eyes a little bit about it. And I'm not sure that she needed that. Like, I feel like there were ways that she could have orchestrated that plot development without needing to just rely on coincidence and then needing the, you know, the reader just suspend disbelief a little bit. 
and the kind of the symmetry of Jude and Kennedy and Stella and Desiree sort of forming this perfect square with the issues kind of going from one generation to the next, it was a little too clean. Like I wanted a little more messiness. I wanted a little more organic, natural family dynamic as opposed to this like very neat package. And again, I don't think she needed that. Like I think. No, this story, I don't think that this is anything like it, especially if you're black. Stella is so paranoid because she feels like other people are going to know. And, and they reference in the book, you know, black people can always tell, you know, we can always tell one of our own. And you do, I mean, I think because we, there's, we grow up and there's so many different shades in our family, you know, like having, like having, I have cousins who are, who look, who present white, who look white or who look, I don't know, Latina or something, very, very fair skin and very light skin. So there's always these identity issues, how they're treated, how you feel about them, you know, how they relate in the world because Jude is not accepted. And I think part of her mother's hiding from her is because she knows that she has brought her to a place that is hostile to who she is. Like everyone comments. I mean, it's like the first thing in the story, how dark Jude is like, she's just so black mm-hmm. and blue, black, blue, black. And she doesn't feel like she has an, any options. And so she settles back down into her, her hometown. And I think she knows that her daughter is very, un- she ha- she knows how her daughter will be treated there, but at the same time, she can't, she won't make up her mind to leave. And so she puts her daughters off, her daughter off with these lies, you know, this, oh yes, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna move soon, or this is only for a little while. And then the only time that Jude gets a chance to escape is when she leaves and she goes to college. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think the things that would have made this so much more fascinating were not touched upon. I think at at one point it might be mentioned that Stella is kind of concern what would she do if her you know if her baby came out a couple of shades darker Mm -hmm. what would she say would she have to leave so there's these interesting questions of of how identity you know or maybe if her hair was super curly that are are sidestepped I think for the she goes for the dichotomy you know the black versus the white yeah that I think was a little, it was a little heavy handed. So yeah, that's, I think that was my issue with it. It did feel a little heavy handed. Uh, I, I, but you know, that said, I liked it. I read it. It kept me going. Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely a page turner. You, I kind of feel like you did when you said there's something about seeing unburied sing. There's something about the emotionality and the rawness of those characters that just really makes you feel for them. This is, and like I said, I don't think it's, I think it's probably appropriate for who these characters are, but I always have an issue with, with characters who are kind of cold. It's hard to invest in them. It's hard to, their daughters didn't know these women. And, you know, the entire book is basically predicated on one making a choice that I don't even know 
that we really see coming. I mean, I think it's kind of explained very simply in when Stella and Desiree are working initially with their mother in Mallard or right outside the town of Mallard. They're working for a white family. And, you know, the husband in the house is is forcing his attentions or on Stella. And Desiree never knows what makes her run with with her to New Orleans because she's never been able to she never expected that of Stella. And so mm-hmm. Stella has this thing that's driving her, that's making her stay in New Orleans, the fact that she does not want, you know, she doesn't want to go back to Mallard or working with this man who is making passes and making advances on her. So her not wanting to go back is is supposedly what propels her to force Desiree to stay when it seems like Desiree kind of wants to go back and then make this, this next step of, of becoming a white woman and and marrying Blake, Blake Sanders, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the reason that we got was, it was just throw, it was throw, it was like a sentence about something that happened in the past that we weren't allowed to see. Right. So, yeah. So I think it attempts, the the thing that's mostly unsatisfying is that it's attempting or it's intriguing, like with why with these sisters, what forces them to do what they do, you know, like why does Desiree choose in contrast to what Stella has done, which is to choose to be white, which is basically she's saying, I'm just not telling all this other stuff, but I look white and white is a state of mind or, you know, I just have to believe it. And then I, then I will be white. And she becomes more comfortable, even though she becomes irrational in her fear of being found out. So I feel like we were just on the, like on the edges of getting into questions more deeply. Right. Right. It all ends up getting treated sort of superficially. And the sisters have this big reunion where, you know, Stella ends up coming home and seeing Desiree and they kind of spend a weekend together. But really the reason she came was to ask Desiree to call off Jude and not tell Kennedy her secret, even though eventually Kennedy figures it out. And I think Jude tells her, but like, I found that reunion to be super unsatisfying because nothing ever came of it after that, you know? So they, it's not like they then were in each other's lives and could sort of fill that void missing from the twin it was like that they sort of had this like catch up and then and then Stella just left well I feel like that was the most even though it was unsatisfying like I I definitely wanted more I wanted you know I wanted them to talk about to each other what their lives were been but it it just reinforces that that is how clearly Stella was going to protect her secret and it's like the sisters could have this one night you know, where they sleep in the same bed that they grew up as children and they look into each other, looking into the mirror, like they have this homeless guy who witnesses, he wakes up in the diner where Desiree works and he witnesses their reunion. And he says something, it's like Desiree is hugging herself. He wakes up to Desiree hugging herself when the twins reunite. I think who Stella was, I mean, she really did go there to do that. And as much as she loved her sister, she had made her choice for this other life and nothing was going to 
mess it up. I mean, that was the only thing that brought her back. And I mm-hmm. think that you want more from that, but she never showed that she was going to be able to do that. Her whole thing was, you know, she looks at her daughter when her daughter says, oh, I, I went to find myself. And she's like, yeah, you don't find yourself. You create yourself, you make the choice and you stick with it. And I feel like that's what she did. Yeah. Like she never backed down from that. And I thought that was so sad. And they'll just move on. It's like the branches, it's almost like it's sh- it's showing you how how one family stays black and the other one becomes white because even Kennedy is just kind of like, oh, my grandma died. Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, Kennedy, even though she has been in touch with Jude and they sort of have this semi-hostile sort of testy relationship where they keep in touch with each other. But it's clear that she's not going to go and I feel like they probably are not they're not going to keep in touch. They just have these divergent paths. Right. And Kennedy's committed to the secret, right? Because. Yep. She doesn't. She won't. She doesn't tell dad. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, there's our book club discussion on. After all that, we recommend you read it. It was really good. It was. (laughs) It was good. It was good. And I liked it a lot. Uh, It's just, you know, wasn't perfect. We just, we want it more. Right. It, it just scratched the surface of so many interesting questions. And I definitely want it more. I think that for something like this, explore, explore, uh, something like this with the exploration of race and racial identity, I would really recommend Danzi Senna. Uh, she wrote this book called Caucasia, which was really good. And she wrote one that I read a couple of years ago. It's something with people in the title, the new people, I think it was, which kind of diverged a little bit too much into satire for me, but are just, I think, like much deeper treatments of some of these questions that Britt Bennett is addressing, which I think is probably good for the audience that she's reaching. I mean, it's the Good Morning America book club pick and... um it's all over the place. So, all right, well, we will link to that and every other book that we talked about today in the show notes and, um, hopefully for me anyway, the (laughs) reading pace will pick up a little bit, at least the fiction. I'm going to dive into Mexican Gothic and see where it leads me. If it leads me to just, maybe I'll be all about the Gothic mysteries and haunted houses or something. I think those have a little bit more heft to them than than people on the beach at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm going so to... So on that note... Yeah, well, and I'm going to uh, give The Last Flight a try and or look for... What is that something. one about? Oh, this is the one where there's a woman in an abusive marriage and she wants out. So she buys this plane ticket and she's going to fly to Puerto Rico and disappear. And she's like at the airport about to leave. And her husband like basically like figures out where she is and he tries to make her come home. And she meets this woman in a airport restaurant and they decide to switch tickets. And one of them is flying to California and one of them was supposed to fly to Puerto Rico. So she basically assumes the identity of this woman who was supposed to fly to California and gives her her ticket to Puerto Rico. And then the the plane to Puerto Rico crashes. 
So she is now. He thinks is yes in the clear a little bit. Yes, but so she's now assumed the identity of a woman who is actually dead. Um, and then it turns out like that woman had issues like going on. I don't know. Actually, it sounds kind of stressful. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't read that. (laughs) I'm like, it sounds good. I know it does sound good. Um. I know, but so maybe I just need the popcorn to just like ease me, you know, get the app, wet the appetite. Um, so I'll either do the popcorn thriller, although if that's too stressful, maybe I do need family. I don't know. I don't know, Nicole. It says two women, two flights, one last chance to disappear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, this book, I like heard about it. I think actually I heard about it um, during one of the online book expo sessions that I went to. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, somebody, it was either like a buzz book or it was just someone was, I don't know, I went to a couple of different sessions and someone was talking about it. And I thought, oh, that sounded good. And I ended up swapping somebody for it recently or I bought it. <laughs> I don't remember. So I don't know. I'll do that or something else. I'll, I'll report back next week on what happened. Okay. Looking All forward right. to it. Yes. All I'll right. let you know if I, if I start to read it. <laughs> Yeah, let me know. All right. Until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.